Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Six Packers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 52. This episode of The Cantankerous Catholic is being released on the Solemnity of Mary Mother of God, January 1st. I originally intended to dedicate this episode to her, but she's impressed me with the idea that I need to go ahead and explain something else to you. What I have to say to you today is of terrible importance. It's something every Catholic needs to know and understand well because our souls hang in the balance. Unfortunately, before I can tell you what's on my mind, we have to pay the bills. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. I've spent the last 30-plus years teaching our holy and ancient faith, evangelizing souls, and being used by God to make hundreds of converts and reverts. I never wanted to evangelize. In fact, I've resisted it every day of the last 30 years. Yet I'm most happy when I'm sharing the truths of the faith. I've been referred to by some people as a walking Catholic encyclopedia. I've read over 1,000 Catholic books. I've been through the very rigid training of the Marian Catechist Apostolate, devised and written by Father John Harden. I'm also well-formed in church history, moral theology, apologetics, and sacred scripture. Now, I'm not bragging about the knowledge I possess, despite how all this may sound. I'm really wanting to make a much bigger point. I've told you over and over again that you need to learn the faith well. Why do I continually harp on your need to learn the faith? Well, it's a simple, logical truth that you can't live what you don't know. Living anything requires at least a basic knowledge of the thing being lived. Even a ditch digger had to be taught how to use a shovel. Sadly, the typical practicing Catholic has less knowledge of our faith than the ditch digger has about his shovel. All that stated, you must understand that there's an entire element I've neglected talking to you about because I've been so focused on trying to motivate you to better learn and understand the faith. As I've already said, I know the faith very well. In fact, there have been some priests who've told me I know the faith better than a lot of priests. 
now I'm going to tell you what all that knowledge of the faith is worth. I can take everything I know in a buck and go buy a cup of coffee, or I can just take a buck and go buy a cup of coffee. Do you know who in all of God's creation knows the faith better than anyone else in the world? That would be Satan, God's greatest enemy. While I may know the Catholic faith better than most people, Satan knows it perfectly. There isn't one single doctrine or dogma that Satan doesn't know and understand perfectly. But where does all this knowledge get him? It doesn't matter how well he knows the faith, he's forever condemned to hell. As crazy as things are getting both in the church and in the world, it's way past time for us to get more serious than a heart attack about actually living the faith. You can learn the faith until you're proficient while applying what you already know. That's the advantage you have over Satan. Even if he could apply what he knows, he'd still be in hell for eternity. You still have a chance to work toward heaven. The problem is your time is definitely running out. Don't think that because you profess your faith, you're heaven-bound. It doesn't work that way. Grace is a gift, and salvation is a gift, true enough. But those gifts require that a certain criteria be met. Salvation isn't assured to anyone. As Paul said in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that doesn't sound like someone who believes salvation is automatic just because you profess your faith. What I'm saying is that you've got to get serious about living our Catholic faith. Yes, learn it and learn it well, but live it just as well. How's that done? Well, the very first thing you have to do is quit eating pablum and begin eating meat. You're not eight years old anymore, so quit living and thinking like an eight-year-old Catholic. Lose your child's understanding of Jesus and replace it with an adult understanding of him. The child's understanding of Jesus is syrupy sweet love. The understanding they gave you of Jesus when you were a kid was that he was your loving buddy. That's true enough, but he's so much more. Maintaining the child's concept of Jesus as an adult makes you want to sing Kumbaya and have lots of group hugs. But that's not the scriptural reality of who Jesus is. In fact, it's pretty much a given that if you tried singing Kumbaya and get a group hug with Jesus, he'd probably slap you across the face and tell you to grow up. The scriptural and historical reality of Jesus is much different than the immature ideal we hold of him. Jesus loves everyone, and he demonstrated his love perfectly while on earth, but he didn't do it with group hugs. He showed his love with honesty. In our snowflake culture and society, we'd consider his honesty to be brutal honesty. Jesus publicly called men liars, hypocrites, and white-painted sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He told the religious leaders of his day that they never knew God. Imagine someone saying that to you. He drove men from the temple with a whip. By today's standards, this isn't a very nice Jesus. Jesus didn't do these things to be mean, though. He did them to force people to drop the facade they live behind long enough to reflect on how God sees them. He pricked consciences, and it worked out for those people one way or another. For example, the main body of the Pharisees remained hardened in their hearts until they were finally able to have Jesus crucified. 
Yet it worked for the wealthy Zacchaeus who promised Jesus to give half of his wealth away and to restore four times the amount of anyone he'd cheated. Taking Jesus' combination of a charitable approach for some and brutal honesties for others as a model, I can tell you firsthand that it worked remarkably well. For instance, when I begin dealing with someone who is obviously broken and hurting, I approach them with charity, kindness, compassion, and tenderness. That's what they need, and that's what they respond to. On the other hand, when dealing with someone else, if I spot the least bit of pride and arrogance, I use Jesus' brutal honesty approach. The initial approach usually ends badly, but the person who was the object of my honesty will think about what I said and eventually make the right decision in repentance. Let me give you an example. I take being a godfather very seriously. It's not an honor to be a godfather, it's a responsibility. One of my godchildren had veered away from God in a big way. I spoke to him about it with brutal honesty. Now, I'm a big man, and in those days I was over six feet tall with broad shoulders and powerfully built. My godson dwarfed me in size and power. I have to admit I feared what he could do to me, but I didn't care. His soul meant more to me than the dread of anything he could do to me. What I said to him angered him enough that he beat me mercilessly and left me on the floor unconscious with a smashed up face and broken ribs. Yet several hours later, he returned to me, begging my forgiveness. I held that giant of a man in my arms as he wept tears of genuine contrition. Despite the potential for bad outcome, we have to assume and imitate the adult vision of the Jesus of history. In these times, we're obligated to use brutal honesty with our fellow Catholics. Don't worry about losing friends or ruining relationships with your fellow parishioners. Your first relationship responsibility is with God. If you lose friends and ruin relationships, but do so for the love of souls, who cares? God much prefers you love the souls he created than to say nothing and watch those souls edge toward the abyss of hell. Just be sure that if you're going to use the brutal honesty approach that you're not throwing rocks while living in a glass house. And that leads to the next thing I want to talk about. It's time to begin taking Jesus at his word, believing the things he said. You may think you already know that, but you probably don't. Every Catholic obligation we have can be placed under two primary categories. The first is to share the faith, evangelize. That's another topic for a discussion at another time. The second category is the one I want to focus on. In his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's version, Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow! In my opinion, that's the most profound commandment Jesus gave us. He's telling us to be perfect. How perfect? As perfect as God the Father. Well, how perfect is God the Father? He's infinitely perfect. In other words, Jesus is commanding us to become saints. A modern way to look at it may be to say you need to become God's rock star. And yes, it's a command. Notice he didn't say try to be perfect. He said be perfect. Is achieving perfection possible? Well, if it wasn't, Jesus never would have commanded it. Perfection is the very definition of sainthood. 
We can't do it on our own, though. Perfection comes from a lifetime of cooperation with God and the graces he sends us. The whole reason why Jesus gave us the Catholic Church and their sacraments is to help us in achieving perfection of soul. So if you don't want to be perfect, a saint, then why in the world are you a Catholic? Becoming perfected is simple, but it's not easy and requires a lot of hard work. The great thing about it is that you don't have to go for it alone. I'd strongly recommend you get a good spiritual director. Be careful about who you choose to direct your soul. Just because a man's a priest doesn't necessarily mean he'll make a good spiritual director. There are some priests in the world who aren't faithful to the church's teachings or their sacerdotal vows, but I'm not too worried about you seeking out one like that as a spiritual director. After all, you're six-packers, and six-packers are serious Catholics. Most priests are good, holy men who take the teachings of the church and their priestly vows seriously. But you still have to be careful, not because they aren't good priests, but because they might not be equipped for the task. Not all priests are at all equipped to be spiritual directors. Most aren't trained for it. And among those who are, most haven't been trained in classical spiritual direction. Priests who aren't trained or have been trained in this modern psychologically-based mumbo-jumbo might possibly end up having the opposite of the desired effect and cause grave consequences for your mortal soul. That's not the priest's intention, though. It's just what it is. In addition to avoiding the sort of priest already mentioned, I wholeheartedly recommend you avoid asking a nun or layperson to direct you. There may be some real good ones out there, I'm sure, but your best bet is always a priest because a priest possesses the sacramental graces of holy orders. The age of the priest doesn't matter, only the degree of apparent holiness. My spiritual director has only been a priest about eight or nine years, but he's a very holy man who's well-versed in classical spiritual direction and care of a soul. Under no circumstances let anyone get away with telling you the old ways of spiritual direction don't work anymore, that mankind and the church have advanced beyond those archaic ways. That's a bunch of baloney. Times may change, but man is the very same as he was when our first parents gave us original sin. Besides, how many saints do we produce today with these so-called new ways? When classical spirituality and direction were at a peak, hundreds, maybe even thousands, of saints came flowing out of the heart of the church. If classical spirituality was good enough for the likes of St. Teresa of Avila, St. Anthony of Padua, St. John Bosco, and numerous others, it should certainly be good enough for you. While you're looking for a good spiritual director, begin building a deep relationship with God in prayer. Personally, I think the very best book to help you do that is called Fire Within from Father Thomas Dubay. I've got a link for it in my show notes. Speaking of reading, there are two types of reading you need to begin on a daily basis. One thing you need to begin reading is books about the lives of the saints. If we make a metaphor by saying God is a giant diamond, then the saints are the facets of that diamond reflecting his light in their unique way. Reading these books will help you immensely in your journey to perfection. I've got links in my show notes to companies who publish and sell saints' biographies you can always count on for orthodoxy. 
The other form of daily reading you need to begin is reading the Bible. Just 15 minutes a day will do it. You may start out dreading this because you've got a preconceived notion that Scripture is boring. It's not, though. Begin by reading the Gospels and Acts. I can pretty much promise you that if you make Bible reading a daily discipline, by the time you finish Acts, you'll realize you've become addicted. If you have any version of the Bible besides the Revised Standard Version, you really need to get one of those. This is the version used by all genuine Bible scholars when they need an English translation, because this is the most accurate version in English available. I have a link in my show notes for the one I most recommend. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, has given you your marching orders. The things I'm telling you you need to do need to be done all at the same time, but you're a six-packer, so you can do it. Let's sum it up. Learn our holy and ancient faith well. You don't have to become a theologian, but you've still got a lot of work to do. A great place to begin is by attending my weekly webinars or get my book, Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Either way, this is really just basic stuff, despite the Catholics think it's advanced stuff. With the exception of a brief explanation of the heresies of situation, ethics, and fundamental option, everything I cover is what Catholic school 8th graders had to know 70 years ago in order to graduate. Divest yourself of the child's comprehension of who Jesus is. You're a mature adult, now make your understanding of Jesus adult too. Find a good spiritual director. If you think your pastor would make a good one, ask him if he'll take you on. Otherwise, ask him who he'd recommend as a spiritual director. Read saints' biographies to help you grow and develop a deepening prayer life. Finally, read the Bible every day. If you'll do the things I've told you in this episode, life as a Catholic will become more joyful and you'll truly be working out your salvation in fear and trembling. Hi there, friends and neighbors. This is your old pal El Monte Slim telling you to start reading Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy's weekly column in The Wander, America's oldest independent Catholic newspaper. The folks at The Wander have made a special trial subscription offer just for you Sixpackers, and it's only $39 for six months. That's only a buck and a half an issue, less than a cup of coffee. Joe has a subscription link in his show notes. So listen to the old pal El Monte Slim and subscribe today. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. Guinean Cardinal Robert Serra strongly criticized LGBT ideology that he said is overrunning governments and education centers while tracing the ideology to the root of widespread acceptance of contraception about seven decades ago. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to LifeSite News. St. Luke's Health, the Woodlands Hospital, told Jeannie Drude she was no longer welcome as a newborn photographer after the Catholic hospital tried to pressure her client into an abortion. 
The mother didn't want to have an abortion, and Jeannie informed her that the doctor could not legally coerce her into killing her preborn child, as Jeannie had faced similar situation in her own pregnancies. Jeannie was then told on October 23rd she was no longer welcome on the premises. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the Catholic Herald. Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia, president of the Pontifical Academy for Life, said that he would be willing to hold the hand of someone dying from assisted suicide and that he doesn't see that as lending implicit support for the practice. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. The German's Bishops' Conference has committed to, quote, newly assessing, end quote, the Universal Church's teaching on homosexuality, sexual morality in general, as well as the sacraments of ordination and marriage. The commitment comes at the beginning of a controversial two-year synodal process by the German hierarchy. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to Flag and Cross. A 29-year-old woman is still behind bars after shooting the father of her children in self-defense, all because she didn't have a concealed carry permit for the weapon she possessed. The man, meanwhile, has been released on bond. Where's the justice? You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. I've never understood why, but for some reason it seems that a lot more people die unexpectedly around Christmas. I began thinking about that when the brother-in-law, one of my closest friends, died a couple of weeks before Christmas. And that made me think about my friend who died unexpectedly just over three years ago. My friend, who was a couple of years younger than me at the time, was Father Timothy Bannis. He was a very holy priest, and everyone in the parish loved him deeply. Father and I spent countless hours in the rectory engaged in conversation about all things Catholic, so I was especially familiar with his holiness. When I was first told Father died, I immediately prayed for the repose of his soul, just the way my godfather taught me after I converted to Catholicism. I knew that he was probably suffering the pains of purgatory despite his apparent degree of holiness. Unfortunately, I quickly learned that other parishioners didn't share my view. There were several masses and events in the parish surrounding his death and leading up to the funeral. At one such event, I was talking to an elderly parishioner who told me Father was now in heaven. I was horrified. I said, maybe but we're still obligated to pray for his soul because chances are greater that he's there, being purified for heaven. She actually got angry with me for saying that. I tried to explain that we have no way of knowing whether Father's soul is in heaven, and our neglect to pray for his soul is a cruel injustice to him. What took place between this parishioner and me spotlights an area in thinking that's crept into Catholic thought the last 50 years. 
Purgatory seldom gets preached from the pulpit, and I know from personal witness it's almost never taught sufficiently in RCIA and religion classes, and the greatest input about death that Catholics get is from Protestants who don't even believe in purgatory. So who in the world can blame Catholics for their ignorance about this vitally important matter? I certainly don't hold my fellow Catholics at fault for not knowing or understanding purgatory, but I do hold myself accountable if I fail to help them overcome their lack of knowledge. And that's what I'm going to do in this week's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. Here's how the Catechism of the Catholic Church defines purgatory. All those who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death they undergo purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. Therefore, it's in purgatory that the last vestiges of love of self are transformed into love for God. Purgatory is a testimony to God's mercy and justice. Because he's infinitely merciful as well as infinitely just, purgatory is a necessity. If God were more merciful than just, he'd be imperfect. He is perfectly merciful, but that mercy can only be perfect if it's balanced by his perfect justice. Although purgatory isn't explicitly mentioned by that name in the Bible, the concept of a place of purification is certainly implied. Jesus said in Luke 12:59, I tell you, you will not get out until you pay the very last penny. Christ mentions the sin for which there is no forgiveness either in this world or the world to come in Matthew 12:32. This implies the venial sins can be forgiven in the next world, but where? Hell is eternal punishment and, quote, nothing unclean shall enter heaven according to Revelation 21:27, and even venial sin causes the soul to be unclean, so the implication is clearly purgatory. Paul tells us that at the day of judgment, each man's work will be tried. This trial happens after death. But what happens if a man's work fails the test? He will be the loser, and yet he himself will be saved, though only as men are saved by passing through fire, according to 1 Corinthians 3.15. Now this loss, this penalty, can't refer to consignment in hell since no one's saved there, and heaven can't be meant since there's no suffering or fire there. Purgatory alone explains this passage. The church has always believed in purgatory. The Bible mentions the need to pray for the dead. 2 Maccabees 12.46 says, It is a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may be loosed from their sins. There are also inscriptions of prayers for the dead in the catacombs, where Christians stayed largely hidden during the great Roman persecutions of the first three centuries. Finally, we have the writings of the early Christians, such as Tertullian, Cyprian, Cyril of Jerusalem, Ambrose, John Chrysostom, and Augustine to tell us about purgatory and the need to pray for the dead. Let me try to help you see the logic of purgatory with this example. Let's say you borrow your friend's car to run some errands because yours is in the shop. Your friend's happy to let you use his car, but he insists you have it back by 3 o'clock because he's got somewhere he's got to be. 
Your errands take a bit longer than you'd planned, and you're afraid you're going to be late, so you drive a little more quickly than you ordinarily would. In your haste, you take a corner a little too quickly and a little too sharply and crease the car's fender on a corner fire hydrant. When you pull into your friend's driveway, you immediately draw his attention to what you've done. You tell him, hey, I'm sorry I damaged your car. Will you forgive me? Your friend's a good Catholic, so he responds, sure, I forgive you. Now pay for my fender. The damage has been done, a damage you're responsible for, and has to be paid for. That's only right and just. The sense of justice is one given to us by God. If God authors this simple justice in us, how much more exacting will the justice of an infinite God be? When we sin against God, there has to be reparation. We have to make it right. We can make reparation for our venial sins and forgiven mortal sins in this life, or we can make reparation in purgatory. The choice is yours, but don't be cruel to your departed loved ones by failing to offer masses, prayers, and indulgences for the repose of their soul. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts, and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. In a Franciscan friary in Paris many years ago, one of the friars died who was known as Angelicus because of his holiness of life. A fervent member of the community, who was also a doctor of theology and close friend of Angelicus, neglected to say the three holy masses that were customary in this friary to be said for the soul of each departed member. He didn't offer the masses because he felt Angelicus didn't need the help. But Angelicus, who was thought so perfect, was in purgatory. 
One night, Angelicus appeared to his friend and begged him to celebrate the three masses. He said, No one can realize how exacting God's judgments are and how exacting his punishments. He uses his omnipotent power to purify the souls in purgatory so they can be made worthy of heaven. The theologian was sorry for his neglect and offered the three masses. Angelicus was released from purgatory. The theologian himself began working with greater zeal for his own personal holiness. Angelicus couldn't be released from purgatory until all the temporal punishment due for his forgiven sins were finished. All the prayers offered for him were only partial indulgences. Indulgences certainly remit the punishment due, but a partial indulgence only remits a portion of them. The three masses of the theologian were much the same as a plenary indulgence, which remitted all the temporal punishments due for Angelicus's forgiven sin. What are you doing for your loved ones and friends? That's it for this episode, Six Packers. Be sure to come back and listen to next week's episode. If you like The Cantankerous Catholic, be sure to write a review wherever you download it so other like-minded Catholics can more easily find it. And be sure to visit my show notes to get links to other things relevant to this episode. As long as you're on the show notes, drop a comment at the bottom to let me know what you think of this episode or to suggest topics for future episodes. If you happen to be on cantankerouscatholic.com for the show notes, download a free copy of The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It, Volume 1, and visit the Joe's Stuff page to get copies of my other books and some really neat coffee mugs. I think you six-packers are the cream of the Catholic crop, and I really appreciate you listening. Just remember, though, comfort and conviction... Don't live on the same This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.